0: Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the, mu- the working musicians podcast, episode number 14 for Monday, May 11th, 2015, here, as usual, in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Hey, everybody out in Los
1: Gatos, California, Paul Kent. How goes it, my friend? It goes good. I had a nice weekend, did a couple of nice acoustic gigs, and uh, we had a one of the towns out here had what's known as a wine walk, which means that a bunch of wineries set up you know, places along the downtown, one of the little kind of country towns and uh, people just stroll and fill their glass. And I think we might've been one of the last stops on it. So we (laughs) we benefit, we benefited from this greatly.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, well lubricated crowd. That's right.
1: (laughs) Very enthusiastic. Ah, That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just, uh, just acoustic gigs this weekend.
1: Yeah. Just acoustic gigs, house rockers, a little bit of a guys doing different things break right now yep. uh, for another two weeks. But then, end of May, we've got four gigs the last week of May. And, you know, we're really, that's when things really start cranking. That's cool. That's cool. So, yeah. that, the wine walk was one of them. What was the other one? Was anything notable? The other one was another winery gig, like at a winery and actually played. It was a, a weird, uh, rainy night here in Northern California because it's been so gorgeous and uh they moved it from an outdoor uh patio type of thing into one of the cask rooms which was awesome for acoustics i'll tell you and i did uh, two hours of a uh, solo acoustic wow hey good you know, it was fun. You. that's a that's you a know, long stretch to do solo man that's great i love it i love it so much it's just it is I, i've said this before it is the greatest chop builder because you really have to focus on your playing. You really have to focus on your singing. Yeah, You develop your performing chops and your ability to kind of interact with an audience and in a different way when it's, you know, just you, it's, it's funny. It's like a whole, it's a whole different vibe that you're finding in yourself in your ability to, to uh, communicate through music.
0: Huh? Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's um. I, I've never done. I'm sure I've never done a gig. That's just me. Um, it would, yeah, it would, it wouldn't have happened, right? Because I'm the the guitar is. I would have to have played guitar. No, I have, I definitely haven't. I've done like duos, but that's
1: that's as close as I've gotten. So that's cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah, so it was nice. How about you? You play last weekend?
0: Yeah, we had a gig on uh, on Friday night that I've actually been very excited to talk about here uh, because it was it was. Well, I I I'll tell the story, but we applied some things from the. That, that we talked about in the show. And then some kind of very happy um, circumstances happened. We played, I played with fling, which is my, uh, you know, some original, mostly cover band uh, here, at five piece. And the one that I talk about most frequently. And we played at a club that is right next door to what's called the, the Hampton casino ballroom, which is sort of a, you know, uh, uh, theater sized venue. It's kind of a dingy venue, but it's been here forever and it's got, you know, lots and lots of history and all that. And they bring in kind of, you know, B level touring acts and this gig that we play next door, the point of it is be set up and playing when the people, when the show lets out so that the, club will fill up and the people can stay there from whatever 11 o'clock to you know one o'clock when it closes and and our job is to entertain you know those people when they come in and we've done this before and and you kind of get a pacing and you usually don't wind up taking a break in the second set uh you know we play a first set before the thing lets out take a short little break and then as soon as it lets out you kind of start up and and just roll through the end of the night and it works out great Mm. um so that's what happened on on uh uh friday night and it was Slash playing next door. Slash with Miles Kennedy, and so we weren't quite sure what the crowd was going to. Wait, 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 wait. Go wait. ahead. Yeah. Slash is is a B level touring act. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when he's alone, he is. Yeah. I'd go see him. I would too. I mean, the you know the Beach Boys played there. They, you, you know, you're you're just not getting the people that are going to sell out arenas, right? Go you ahead. know, it's, it's the it's the, I don't know how many people is the ballroom hold? It's you know, measured in the thousands, but probably single, single digit thousands. So, but yeah, they get good, good acts. I didn't say D level or C level. I just said B, you know, <laughs> we're not, we're not talking arenas or stadiums. So you got to go somewhere with it. Right. And uh right. so uh, as we were setting up, I, I made a point of interacting with everybody in the room. You know, normally you just kind of want to, you know, hole up and set up and do your thing. But I, like we talked about, you know, okay, these people are there to see you. We should talk to them. So I did. I talked to those people. Now, of course, by the time the second set came, most of those people had left, but it was a good little warm up for the night and, and really engaging the crowd. And there were some people with kids there that kind of stayed late after dinner and the kids like Beatles songs. So we made sure to put some Beatles songs in the, in the first set to, um, you know, to, to, to cater to the crowd. Which was great. And then when the slash crowd came in, we, again, we weren't really sure how this was going to go because we're not a really heavy band. And so I was wondering how it was going to work out. And these people came in and the place filled up and with a few exceptions, no one really wanted to dance. Everybody, but everybody was totally into like intently watching the music, Mm -hmm. which was great. I mean, it, it created this freedom, right? Because the people were so into it and yet we didn't have to worry about making sure, you know, whatever we were playing was danceable or or anything like this. And uh, there's this huge sense of freedom, but, but at the same time, a huge sense of pressure because they were, you know, the, the place was small enough that at least the people sitting up front, we could converse with and, and wound up conversing with even kind of between songs. So, you know, we would finish a tune and they'd say, oh, wow, the harmonies in that one were great. I loved what you did here. I mean, there was this like this ongoing dissection of of what was happening. It was it was very bizarre, but in a great way. And uh, they even demanded that we replay one of our original tunes, uh, which normally we have a rule that we don't repeat a song throughout the night. But uh, they were so adamant
1: about it. Uh, they loved the song so much. And of course, it was one of our original. So it was hard to say no to that. So we uh, now was your guitar player on on particular notice here. I mean, you walk out of a slash show. I guess there's a bunch of guitar fans.
0: Yeah, there were, uh, you know. And and so, yeah, my, my guess is he felt a little bit of a little bit of pressure on that. But um, but he totally delivered. I mean, everybody delivered. It was it was fantastic. That's um, great. Yeah. It was really interesting having this this interaction with the crowd that it was just intently watching. It was, it was I'd love it if, if every crowd was like that, well, I I say that that's not true. I, and then I, then I'd want a crowd that wanted to be up and dancing too. Right. You
1: know, I want both, but, but I, I I actually want both. I want this. but It's it's very rare to actually have people to stop and listen to you. So that is, that's very cool.
0: Yeah. And we had some people, we, we also broke all kinds of rules. A guy showed up with a harmonica uh, early in the evening and If he had come to me, I would have said no, just because, you know, guilt by association, harmonica Mm -hmm. players, you never let Mm him sit in because they, you you know, it's some random dude in a bar. You have no idea how good he is. And it wasn't even like he had a friend that would would vouch for him. And sometimes you can kind of get a vibe from the friend. Nope. This guy just and but our guitar player was like, yeah, come on up and play. It's like, oh, no, dude, rookie mistake. You know, don't let the harp player up ever. Uh, But the guy was great. He was fantastic. He even sang a tune. He was great. And uh, a great night. It was. It was a yeah. It was a great night. It was. It was like you said. It was. You know. It's it's rare to to have an evening like that where people are really, really into it and paying attention. It was a a true pleasure. I I love it. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's cool. So I'll tell you my gig on Saturday. Yep. Uh, the one at the end of the wine walk. So this is the acoustic trio that I play in, and the two people I play in this trio with, they are bona fide monsters. I mean, the woman, she's she's roundly considered the best female vocalist in this area. I mean, wow, just amazing pitch. I mean, she's just a wonderful talent. And the guy is someone who um, I've actually played with in different ways. He's subbed for the house rockers once or twice. And he's a very, they're both, they're both very good friends of mine, but the guy is also just a phenomenal musician. Um, great singer. I, he had funny, he was actually traveling back from San Diego that day. I sent him a text message saying, Hey, I'm thinking of these three Beatles songs. Uh, how do you feel about it? He goes, I'll learn them on the way home. Oh, that's so, awesome. You know, he know no, he's, he, uh, like you, very, very, very big Beatles fan. I mean, he, it wasn't so much that he would learn them. He would more like just He'd kind of review them, br- right? Brush up on them. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And so they get up there. Uh, it's very crowded. We just kind of grab a closet and we work the harmonies on, um, don't let me down. Yeah. And, um, what was the other one? Um, things we said today. Wow. Oh, yeah. Nice. And, and, and we actually didn't have a chance to play things we said today, but we, we did. Don't let me down. Boom. At, you know, uh, Mary Ellen added the third harmony on top and it was just awesome. And it's, it's so fun to play with uh, people. You know, I'm not like that. Like I've said many times, I have to work pretty hard to hold my own chops in these, in, in a lot of these situations. And then you play with people. And, and the great thing, I, I say this often, like when I do my uh, solo part of the shows, the, they are two of the most generous musicians i've ever met in my life they 're so freaking talented, but they're so generous with their talent in you know supporting me, helping me, you know teaching me it's really a joy it's not always that way sometimes it's really hard when you play with a fantastic you know musician and I guess in the cover band scene, I know around here you get a little everything you get you know the ex touring pros, you get just naturally gifted people, you get a lot of these kind of monster chop level people. And they're kind of playing for whatever their reasons are. Maybe it's for money or maybe it's that's all they're aspiring to. But, you know, they're in these cover bands and it makes for an interesting dynamic. You know, like when we have the Macworld All-Star Band, we had a pretty wide range of uh, experience. Right. That's right. Yeah. And and I, I would say in that band, we all kind of learned something over the course of time because we were such good friends. There were certainly times when we were a little frustrated with the less experienced musicians and I think I think that
0: went. And I mean, I I would count myself in the more experienced. But I think that frustration went in two directions. It wasn't just those of us with more experience sometimes being frustrated with those with less. It was also those with less being frustrated with you know with us that had more demanding more out of them than than would be reasonably possible.
1: Oh, it's no fun, you know, to be on that side of it. I mean, when yeah. you realize that you're playing with really good players, you want to hold up your end, but you know, you're. Your toolkit may not be where the others toolkit are, so it's that's, that's right. a very exposed feeling. Yep, I play, you know, in, in the House Rockers. I think I've shared. I have, you know, five basically professional horn players, um, and there they come at things from a very specific, interesting perspective. I mean, they you know they know everything about theory. They read like like a dream. They're just very, very solid musicians. And in the rhythm section, we have a little bit more of a range of experiences. Um, and we also have a range of naturally blessed talent. And in that is an interesting thing. I thought it, I thought it'd be interesting to kind of talk about that. You know, when you play with a monster, like in, in most bands that you're in, Dave, are you, are you the most experienced? Are you the monster? Have you ever been in a band where you're not the monster?
0: Yes, I, um, I have. Um, in, in fling, um, I'm certainly one of the, if not the, but, but the, the, one of the more experienced people for sure. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's been the case in, in several bands, but it's also not been the case like that, you know, that blues band I played in, in Texas, um, I was, you know, not even. The the other guys taught me a lot. Now, if we were playing a different style of music, maybe I could have taught, you know, maybe I could have taught them, but in terms of playing blues rock the, the, I had a lot to learn. And the same was true in the band I was in in Connecticut where we were playing a lot of Beatles and Stones stuff. I mean, I, I knew that stuff, but I didn't really like understand how to rock the right way to do that. And I learned a lot of that from, uh, from the guys in that band. So yeah, it's been, and when, and the band I was on the road with, those guys most of those all those guys were better than me. Yeah. So. How did you feel? Uh intimidated massively. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Especially which really sucks when you're on a bus like you you know you can't get away.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. It, they were nice. Um and, and were there supported. were there any were there what any was, one of them who was uh who wanted to challenge you about your chops? The leader of the band. Yeah. Um so it's, yeah. An interesting management technique. Ah, uh,
0: yeah, he had some interesting management techniques, and um, I, I guess I can share this story. I'll share this story, and and maybe I'll regret it, but maybe not. So, uh, <laughs> there was there was one day we he, he did he had it. <laughs> you, you nailed it. It his management was interesting. He wanted to make sure he maintained control of the band. That that was obvious. And yet no one really seemed to care to take it away from him. You know, uh, it's not exactly a a glamorous job. Right. You know, running a touring band that's basically scraping for every dollar they make. Right. You know, and we were doing well. It was a it was a fun thing. We had people that would come out and tape the shows and we were making some money. But it wasn't like, you know, there weren't (laughs) we weren't raking it in, you know. Right. And so uh, this this was a tough job for him. But he did. He really wanted to maintain control. And so he would do these weird things to just exert control at odd times. And and the the story that came to mind is we had played 14 nights in a row in 14 different cities. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And and we were playing stuff. Most of the stuff was high tempo tunes, you, you know, really fast stuff: Cajun, Klezmer, Zydeco, Bluegrass, Funk with a whole kind of jam band mentality, like to tie it all together. Uh, And so it was just weird stuff, but it was really fun to play, but it was a lot of energy and they were mostly three set nights and we were loading our own gear, you know, and, and when we would have nights that weren't filled on the schedule, we would drive to a college town and, 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 and just try and get a gig. We'd either, you know, we, he had a whole formula, which was great. And this is how we filled 14 days. We'd, you know, pull in, find a coffee shop or a, a club or something and say, look, we'll play for free. If you let us sell your gear, sell our, you know, merchandise or whatever. And they'd usually wind up giving us food or whatever. And it was something to do for the night. And, uh, and then once we had the gig booked, we'd go to the college radio station and see if we could get five minutes on the air to play a tune and, and bring people out to the gig. And it, it worked. Right. So, so we did, we did this for 14 days straight. And on the 15th day we rested, (laughs) we were at this, uh, this fan of the band. He was a, an older guy, you know, probably in his, uh, he had younger kids. So at the time, you know, probably early forties, late thirties kind of thing. And, uh, and so we were hanging out at his house in Ohio and just sitting in his living room doing absolutely nothing. I mean, all six of us were just on couches and chairs. I don't even think anybody was reading. I think we were just decompressing, you know, just sitting there in silence and from across the room, the guy who led the band looked over at me and, and, uh, you know, and I'm all, I was always worried about my plan. I was worried about my tempos and holding the band together and all of that stuff. Cause these guys were serious players. And, uh, he just looks at me and he says, Hey man, how come you don't work out? Now, I was like 145 pounds when I was on the road with this band. <laughs> I'm a skinny guy. And I was, a, I was 50 pounds lighter than I am today. And, uh, and it was just like, oh my God, what, you know, have you turned around at all for the last 14 nights? Have you seen what I'm doing back? The, you know, <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably burning a couple thousand calories, <laughs> but that was, that was kind of the thing. Um, yeah. It was never, it was never a, uh, Hey, you're doing great or anything like that. So yeah, that was, that was, it was frustrating being on that, that road gig. The gigs were amazing, but the other 20 and a half hours of the day were, were a chore. Challenging. Yeah. 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 I'll so, so yes, that was a very long winded way of me saying, yes, at times I've been on the top and at times I've been on the bottom.
1: But he was just picking on you about your like just finding something to pick at you. Never picked at your chops or never would oh. try to. Oh, yeah. You know- no, that would happen, too. He would, oh. you know, after gigs, sometimes even at set breaks, he's like, oh, you know,
0: the way you play your solos, it's good. It's good. This part's good. But you got to fix this. But it was it was rarely it rarely came across as constructive. Yeah, it, you know, it was meant to fix a problem, which is understandable. You know, if there's something you want to fix, you fix it. But it just was never in a like a, a constructive way. Yeah.
1: So I'll say this: the moment when you realize that you're in a dynamic with somebody who just has, they basically have that on you, right? Yeah. Whatever way you're going to go down this path, negotiating, communicating. At the end of the day, in a musical realm, you know, in a group of musicians, chops usually carry. I I might just be talking for my own securities. Chops will usually end the conversation. I mean, and when you realize that you're you're now kind of have a dynamic set up with somebody that you play music with and you know that they're a better player than you. And they know that, you know, that, that yeah. they're a better player than you. That is, uh, that creates a whole bunch of stuff. And I'll say this, I've played with people who are fantastic players who, like I say, are incredibly generous. I've played with in, in fantastic players who are actually generous, but, the the, um, the tact of getting more out of you is frustrating because it's, it's, it's a very exposed thing, right? You know, it's just, uh, you know, I, I will you know, when you and I started playing, I'd never heard drumming played with drumming. Like what you were doing when we started playing together, I was like, Oh, this guy's going to be the real deal. You know, I got to say, I I clenched a little bit. I was like, all right, I got it. I'm going to have to, and then, you know, after time you get, you get to a place where, so I'm going to say this, you know, as the, as the guy who is not the most blessed guy, you know, with regards to, to chops, you, you realize what you do well, and that you add, you know, you're, you're a part of it. My bass player said something really fantastic to me once. You know, we were going through some some time where there's a little greeting in the band. And he's like, listen, clearly this band is greater than the sum of its parts. Something is happening when all 10 of us play that mostly exceeds anything that any of us have done in, in any other thing. It's going pretty well here. So we got we to gotta embrace that cherish it Joe shared my drummer shared uh, a quote by Steve Van Zant in Springsteen's band about how if you get in a band that works you have to hold on to that so carefully because it's such a rare thing it you know is. if you get in a band where where it, it's something good is happening cherish that nurture it respect it so when you're the guy who you're doing something right if your band is working and and working you know making people happy you're doing something right. And when you're the guy who needs to work harder, a work harder, but B you got to get comfortable with what your contribution to the whole is and respect that the dynamic for better or worse, actually for better, the combination of like we, we, you and I have talked about this before. It makes no sense other than divine intervention that the Beatles did what they did. Right. 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 It was change change any one part of that. That's change right. any one part of that equation and it's a whole different thing, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is very interesting because, um, and I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm sharing dirty laundry here. That's certainly not my intent. Um, but it, this is, this is kind of an in progress thing. So I will, I'll, I'll, I'll tread carefully here. Um, First of all, when I joined the Macworld All-Star Band, which was at its inception, uh, I was uh, I did not feel comfortable. I felt like I was the guy that had to prove himself uh, and all of that. So it's funny hearing your interpretation of of
1: that exact same moment. (laughs) You know, well, can I take a guess here? You were also quite a bit younger. So was it was it your age?
0: Yeah, it was my age, but I, uh, you know, the, and it was
1: your work friends.
0: Well, that was it is there's a, there was a a different dynamic. It wasn't just musicians getting together. It was musicians that also had their place in whatever, you know, whatever aspect of our Mac slash Apple community existed. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, at that point in time, my place was very, very new to that world. So, so that's probably where some of that intimidation came from too. Um, thank I guess, thank goodness I can play the drums. I've always said everything, everything good that's happened in my life. I can, I can trace right back to music. So that's
1: That's the great thing.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so I definitely know what that feels like, but even though I know what that feels like, I am not the always, I am not always the best person when I am on the other side of it because I, I have, um, I have very little patience, uh, at times, you know, and probably at more times than I would like where it's just like, Oh dude, you know, why, why is, why do we have to go through this? Why doesn't everybody just see, see what I see? Right. That, and and that's unreasonable I get, but it's all, it's also just the way things work sometimes. So we had, we had this great gig on Friday night I told you about, but there were, you know, at like anything there, there's things that can be improved. And so I, I was, I was thinking about it all weekend and thinking about it this morning. And and this one thing kept happening, you know, we had the opportunity to really stretch out some tunes, um, and, and explore things in ways that we might not do if, if it was a different kind of, you know, party sort of dance crowd. And there were times where an old issue that's, that's happened in fling sort of cropped up again. And that is, I always kind of call it who, you know, who has the baton. Right. And, and there were moments where the baton was rolling around on the floor of the stage in front of me. Right. Nobody was soloing. Nobody was singing. Nobody, you know, if one person had finished soloing, the other guy didn't pick it up and, and start soloing those kinds of things. Um, they happened not, not egregiously. So, but they happened several times and, and it was, you know, those kinds of things I think can be cleaned up. Mm -hmm. And so I, but I knew that a, a large part of that falls on our main lead player, which is our guitar player. And, and to some degree falls on our keyboard player. Cause that's sort of where the, the, the disconnect came from and, and our guitar player, our lead player, uh killer lead player, but certainly in his mind anyway, is the least experienced guy in the band. That's not necessarily the case, but, but that's how he sees it. And so he's very intimidated by the whole thing. And I knew that if I just like came out and blasted about it, um, I could be, I could feel right, but it wouldn't actually solve the problem. And in fact, it might even make it worse because if he feels less confident coming up uh, to that moment in a tune or whatever, then he's not going to do what we need him to do, which is grab the reins and just take him and go. Right. And so I thought, well, how can we fix this? And, and I realized, you know, in that situation, if you are the, the more experienced person and you want to further the band as opposed to just, you know, feel righteous um, and not really be productive. Your, your job is that of a teacher, right? You have to, if if you want to fix it, you've got to be the one to to do it in a way that's constructive and everybody um, can come around. So I came up with this idea of doing an exercise and I, I, we haven't tried it yet because I just thought of it this morning and we haven't rehearsed yet since the gig, but my exercise is called pass the baton without dropping it. And, and, you know, and so my idea is we'll, we'll start kind of playing a little groove and come up with, okay, we're going to play for, you know, X number of bars. And then this guy's going to play and this guy's going to play and we'll do it for, you know, a fixed number of bars first, just to get comfortable with that. And then we'll do it for an unspecified amount of time and make sure that the, the handoff happens appropriately and whatever communication needs to happen in the midst of whatever simple little groove we're playing happens right and and these things will translate to on stage in 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 various ways and so you know i, I felt pretty good about coming up with that instead of just being that you know jerk that says well, you guys did it wrong do it right next time Done. you're evolving i hope so that's the goal why well, I, I, because i want the band to get better i don't just want to yell and because i know that doesn't get anywhere
1: you know <laughs> well i will tell you I, I here's the way it seems to me Um, music is about, um, you know, these vibrations lining up together, right? That's right. My experience is that, uh, the really God gifted, talented people, when those vibrations are not lining up correctly, it's really off-putting. It's very, very difficult to concentrate and think. So, you know, my, my being evolved is a little bit more of an understanding that, you know, along with that great talent. Not that it's a burden, but literally it's it's so distracting when things aren't in tune or when harmonies aren't right or, you know, when when time isn't lining up or any of these types of things. It's very, very difficult. I've learned a lot. I mean, I, I maybe I'm getting older and. And I'm a little bit more zen about it. It's not fun when your weaknesses are exposed, even in the best of cases. I mean, even when someone's approaching it like you're saying and saying that, you know, that they're they're gonna approach it and be a teacher and help someone along. It's no fun any even in the best of case. That's right. Until you really can turn the corner. And if you have trust with your bandmates and you realize that they just want to get it right, you know, you drop your you drop your guard a little bit. I I will say I, again I've I not always felt this way. I have learned so much from my bandmates. Once I finally started to let things wash over me, I'll still be a dick and, and you know push push back a little bit. You know when I just don't feel like putting up with it, I, and I think that's a natural thing to do. But I uh, I think there if you if you're in the right band with the right people, cut slack both ways. If you're the experienced guy, cut slack. To the less experienced guy or the less blessed guy maybe we should say and if you're the less blessed guy, cut slack if you trust your bandmate that uh, there's an intent that the goal is to make the group better it's not easy and it's not comfortable at all uh yeah, it'll, I'm trying to think you know what song would always you know really really you know make be difficult for me as a guitar player yep Bodhisattva oh right <laughs> yeah. well any of this Steely damn stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> and trying to learn those solos and trying to play those oh, tempos. Yeah. And, right. And, uh, and, and that stuff is so precise. You can't just turn
0: up the distortion and, and play and it's okay. Right. You know, you've just, you've got to play it right.
1: You've got to play it right. Yeah. What songs come to mind for you that are like the, you, you, you know, not to bring like even in fling, is there a song that you're like, what? Well, no, I'm not going to bring it to this band. <sighs> um, yeah there there have
0: been some you, you know like uh we started working on uh 50 ways to leave your lover and, and i've been singing it so that's yeah. that's the fifth you know uh limb uh, is is kind of how i think of it as a drummer right so yeah, those i mean that type of thing um a lot of times though the hard parts for me are the tunes are are, are tempo wise right where you know there's a tendency to rush like we've been playing the english beat save it for later and uh that's one of those tunes where when the chorus comes, man, <laughs> I I just want to speed up. Now, part of that is probably because I'm also singing a harmony in the chorus, right? Um and, and Your a man- brain your brain can only
1: manage so many things at once, right?
0: Well, yeah, but you it can manage holding the tempo together. You just I just have to force myself to think about it. A lot, my time is pretty good, but that comes at a cost, right? Because I don't think about it, and then when I do get into those trouble situations, you know, we'll, we'll finish the tune of the baseball. We'll be like, dude, you got to, you know, whoa. <laughs> like, oh, and then that, that hurts, right? That stings when you, you know, you trust your time. It's, it's not just something I, I, uh, I, other people rely on me for and believe in me for. It's something I believe in me for. So when I know that I've gotten it wrong because my bass player is looking at me like, dude, you got it wrong, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that kind of cuts right to the core. Right. It's like, Oh yeah. c- c- crap. You know? Um, but it makes me want to want to work on it. And yeah, I, I think it's, um, I'm trying to think if I play any tunes that are just technically really difficult in fling. Um, we haven't added one lately. So I think that's why I'm having trouble finding it because you know, a tune like fool in the rain, that's hard. Uh, um, yeah. but I've been playing it, you know, five or six years now we played it some in the all-stars. And of course we, we play it in fling since then. I, I'm trying to think, Oh, I guess we learned it first in fling and then I brought it to the all-stars. But, um, I, you know, now I don't even have to think about it. In fact, it's better if I don't, um, uh, if I do, that's when things might fall off the rails. But again, it it takes the right kind of focus throughout the tune. It's, I cannot, I cannot sleep through that song. Yeah, that, I got, I got a good one for you. Go.
1: So, hate to lose your loving. That's yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah. My my buddy Steve, our bass player. Yep, he calls that stuff uh, eating at the grown ups table. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I like that term. That's good. Yeah, I only I I've I've I would love to play that one in fling. We have not, but um, so I've only played it with you either in the all stars or the one time I sat in with the house rockers and we played it. Yeah, and that is
1: not um, that is not easy. It's a well, well, a lot of those grooves are. It's not just drums, i mean there's a right. there's a, a tonality to the bass that has to be there, and then there's a real subtlety to the guitar that has to be there. all those things make the groove and the key and don't like, forget the keyboard part right oh well, I mean, absolutely that, that's yeah okay, yeah, but th- that that whole That whole Cajun Zydeco, you know, Southern feel. Well, that that is a very unique thing. That's the the meters, all the stuff that you can't, you cannot be the meters. You may be able to play the same notes, but you cannot be the meters. That's right.
0: And, and yeah, that, I mean, that drum groove is, I mean, that song as a drummer, I have to approach at many levels. The first is figure out, you know, logistically how the drum part works. And that's not easy at all. And then it's, okay, play it without thinking about it so that you can then go to level two, which is finding the groove and hitting the right accents and getting that kind of bouncing feel, even though you're playing this thing that should not be comfortable, right? You've got to make it feel comfortable and pulling the snare back a little bit on the backbeat so that it feels like Richie Hayward playing it because otherwise it's not right. And then level three is doing it with other
1: musicians you know (laughs) like whoa yeah it's a lot going on yeah yeah are there like we talked a couple episodes back about how for guitar players so much of it is in your fingers and you said it is for drummers are there but there are some guitar players i can just i can't even come close to copying their sound some you can but some you just can't even get in there are there like like steve gad can you sound like steve gad that guy's got such soft hands man right
0: yeah, no, I can't. I I mean, there have been moments where I've been playing something and and it'll be like, oh, that's it, you know. And, but it'll be fleeting, you know. I'll notice it after the fact, and it it won't even be necessarily that I was trying to to emulate Gad. But I'll play some Phil that was, you know, similar to what he would do, and and you hear it, and it's like, oh, how do I get that back? But the answer is,
1: <laughs> you know, a lot more practice. Yeah, or and about- and maybe not even then. All right. A couple more name your drummer things. How about this? Phil Collins. He had great groove too. Yeah. Killer groove, you know, and
0: this is one of my favorite things. And, and, and as soon as I hear Phil Collins, I think of that groove on, uh, on, um, uh, what was the album? I can't remember the album that, that, that tune misunderstanding, right? Cause it's like yeah. the opposite of the fool in the rain groove. In fact, I, I, well, think about this. So, uh, you know, I believe that that song, even though it came out right before fool in the rain, um, I believe that song, if you listen to the lyrics and the chord progression, the whole thing is the opposite of fool in the rain. And the lyrics are the continuation of that story. I think he and Robert plant work together somehow uh, you know they they knew of each other's compositions when they were when they were putting those things together think about it you yeah. heard
1: you heard it here first folks dave yeah.
0: hamilton puts rock and roll history together that's right it came to me driving home from a gig one night you know i that tune came on but yeah that's a great you know it's it's such a hey, but there's so many things he did that that were fantastic i guess he doesn't play drums anymore right he's got some right. back problem or something uh, which is right. a shame he's a killer drummer yep
1: yep uh, so how about for you, are there any drummers that just it constantly drives you crazy trying to you know approach their feel, their 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 either in-your-face groove or their laid-back groove? Is there, are there any drummers who it's your lifelong quest to try and find the same groove?
0: Yeah, there there are. So I grew up uh, in the in the '80s. That's really when I kind of started playing the drums and, and obsessing about it. And I went down the prog rock path. So. Uh, you know, obviously Neil Peart from Rush was a huge influence early on, but also Bill Bruford from Yes and and like Carl uh, Palmer and, you know, that that whole school of thought, uh, Billy Cobham, even I. Ne- but I what I never got into then that I got into later was the Zappa stuff. So that, that kind of I call it straight ahead prog, and which is sort of an oxymoron, but like a Neil Peart drum part may have some things that are technically difficult to do with your hands but i understand how he approaches that stuff and it's probably because i just played along with his stuff so many times that i kind of understand how he thinks and i i can't always execute what he can do nor could i do it at the level that he does it but i understand what he is playing i you know i i i get it but then i go to listen to somebody like Chad Wackerman or Dave Weckel or Vinny Caliuta and those guys are playing things that uh, it takes so much effort for me to even begin to understand <laughs> how they do it. And and John Fishman, the the drummer from fish is, is a product of those guys. So uh, fish is drum parts. I think I mentioned this in the last show. That guy is totally underrated. They are so hard to kind of figure out. Uh, and again, he's got some, some patterns of his own, but um, as every drummer does, but, um, but yeah, all that, like that, especially the Vinny stuff, it's just, it makes my head hurt. Just <laughs> I, it, not even, I mean, not even sitting down to play it, just figuring out like, what should I try to play? Yeah. That th- those are the ones that hurt. How about,
1: how about Carter Buford?
0: Yeah. Um, it, it, he's, I, I like him. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the first time I saw him. Uh, It was in a tiny little, actually the first time I saw him was at Red Rocks. They opened up for the samples, but that was sort of a fluke. Then I saw him in like a little frat party kind of thing um, back in the early nineties. And I remember thinking, okay, he overplays, but it works perfectly. And the guitar player loves every note that he plays. So it works every note. Yes. (laughs) Right. So it totally works. But um, yeah, he's got, he has super fast hands. Um, I did the thing I thought of, and, and I'm sure this is not, uh, I'm not unique in this is that, Oh, he's a Dennis chambers ripoff, right? Cause he looks just like Dennis up there with yeah. his hat and the way he sits and his posture and everything. But, um, but that doesn't take, I, I you know, the, the term ripoff might take something away from, from his talent. And I don't mean to do that because not only can the guy play and has super fast hands and feet
1: and great feel, but he's a great, great singer. He's, you know, number one harmony singer in that, in that band. Yeah. Yeah. He just plays, I think he approaches the drums I mean, you know, you've got an acoustic guitar player, a jazz bassist, and and um, a saxophonist and a and a, and a violinist, right? Yeah. He he approaches the drums like it's a much more um, melodic instrument. You he, know, he, he almost like it's a, I don't know. Yeah, it's another like
0: solo instrument, kind of like yeah. Keith Moon, right? If it if it weren't yeah. for Stefan Lassard, the bass player in in the Dave Matthews Band, his drumming style wouldn't work because the, the bass player is so steady. And, and, and he really is the one that holds it down in that band. And, and, and everybody else kind of plays around him. Dave holds it yeah. down too, D- Dave Matthews. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. All great drummers, man. I mean, drums at that level are just an amazing thing. I mean, I love Ringo. I love Charlie. You know, I love Max Weinberg. I think I've mentioned my thing for Springsteen, but um, have I mentioned my thing for Springsteen? That's that's uh, three mentions of Springsteen in the uh, show, folks. So that's three shots you've got to, you're, you're, you're
0: short on. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to make a game of this.
1: Think, think, I, yeah, just, I can't thinking, play
0: because otherwise I, I, I won't, I won't know to hit the stop button at the end,
1: but uh, it'd be funny if uh, we get a little cult following of people doing a drinking game, whenever I say Springsteen in mm-hmm. the podcast. I think so. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're, I'm here to serve. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, all great drummers uh, just, it's remarkable to me how that changes music. Yeah. Uh, you know, My, my preference is actually to very steady, simple, drumming you know a lot
0: of times that's that's what you need to play i mean that's what serves the song the best and and certainly you know with the type of stuff and the type of of crowds that you play for that's what should be played and for the most part with what fling does that's also what should be played again friday night was sort of this this thing so we were we were we were able to play you know a steely dan tune in the middle of the 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 second set which would never happen right we just you know pretzel logic is a tune that is meant for a mellower time but if we get to play it when we're warmed up it's killer but usually we have to play it early on if or not play it at all and and so yeah 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 it was nice to be able to actually play some stuff that was not just you know four on the floor kind of thing
1: well, it's a rare thing when a, when a cover band actually gets a listening audience, it, you know, you're either there to make them dance yeah. or they're not listening to you at all. So it's a right. rare thing right. when it's almost a concert like environment.
0: Yeah. And I, I, you know, my, my first thought today before I thought about the, uh, the pass the time without dropping it exercise was how do we cultivate that kind of a crowd? Because those people exist. I would go see a band locally. And I mean, if they're, if they can play, I want to watch them play, you know. Um and those people are but, out there, I think yeah my my crazy belief is that um th- that's not the drinking crowd though that's the uh that's the 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 pot smoker crowd right and yeah. so as that becomes more accepted and and people can do that in public uh not that I want to be in bars that are full of pot smoke to be honest with you but um but I feel like that
1: that might create that vibe um I know I'm crazy it's okay well i i it's about it being entertaining there's lots of bands that are three four five guys that are great musicians uh but you can have all the chops in the world you need ridiculous chops to hold people's attention the average music enjoyer um if if all you have is chops right i mean you know even you, you take no you, know, you need to be entertaining that's totally right right i mean you have to have a vibe you have to communicate something through the music and so you're, you're it's not uh, that's why there's not cover band concerts, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think a big part of what made things work for us, because I've been dissecting this, as you can tell, what made things work for us on Friday night was that in addition to playing and and playing our butts off, we were also uh, between songs communicating not only amongst each other, but but communicating into the microphone so that everyone was we made everyone a part of the entire experience. That's great. Yeah. But that it's I mean, we did well at it. But we don't always it's hard to do, you know, um, and like I Unless said, it's I, natural. I think it started when I intentionally thought, OK, I'm going to go say hi to the people at this table and this table. And it just sort of set the tone for the night that, OK, this is all we're all in this together. And how I, many people do you think you're playing for? Um, By the like at the at the peak of the night, once the show let out, uh, the place is pretty small. There was probably know 150 people in there maybe not not many more than that but but they were all into it yeah it was i mean like every everything we
1: did that place was following along it was killer with (laughs) the acoustic stuff we've been doing there's we have one gig uh our wednesday night gig that i've talked about where the vibe is just right i mean when people get there to see us they're facing us. They're having. They're listening, and it's great. But a lot of the acoustic gigs I do, you know, it's it's background music. It's really hard to do that stuff when you can't even hear yourself. Yeah, that, wallpaper. Those, those are not fun gigs. Yeah. Oh, no, they're not. No. But you know what? I, I'll tell you. When I do those gigs, they're very humbling uh, experiences, and uh, I know some amazing musicians who have to do those gigs to pay their bills, and if they can do them, I can do them. Absolutely. That's kind of the way where my head goes to is that's part of you're always paying your dues. I mean, there's, there's guys around here who are touring musicians and when they're not touring, they're taking any gig they can to continue to make ends. meet. I mean, we, you know, and I told you, we've had, we've had the horn sections from some pretty major bands, guys from the horn sections from some pretty major bands sitting with us when they're not out, you know, touring and, and, uh, and promoting their own band, you know, they'll take a Wednesday night gig for pretty much the same pay scale that anybody else will take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how it works. Yep. 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 Hey, um, before we wrap up here,
0: Paul, we had a couple of, I think we're wrapped up, right? I think we're I'm good. good. Yeah. All right. Yep. Uh, we had a couple of emails come in. One, one question I wanted to go through and, and one thing uh, we talked in the last show about the, the Bose uh, L one systems, right? The, the towers Was uh, yep. my term for them. But, uh, and, and we mentioned how they were built to reach people in the back of the room. And I said, no, only line arrays are built to do that. And Andy uh, Andy Dolph, who is uh, who I know, actually, he's he's right here in, in New Hampshire and he is a trained audio engineer and he's he and I have actually done sound together at, at gigs and, and he has done sound uh, for fling and, and various other things that I have played in as well. Uh, very accomplished guy who knows what he's talking about, wrote in and said just to clear things up about line arrays. The Bose L1 systems are actually true line arrays. The basic physics of line arrays are based on a straight line of speakers that are all producing sound level of sound, the same level of sound output. The critical thing about it is that for all wavelengths of sound, which are less than about two times the length of the line array, the sound coming out of the array only expands horizontally. What that means is that the sound level falls off at three dB per doubling of distance rather than the normal six dB of doubling that would happen with most sound sources. Add to that that our ear brain system hears three dB change as very slight and six dB as quite significant. This means that you can get much more even coverage from the front to the back of a venue with a line array. That's what happens in the physicist optimized world says in reality, it mostly works, too, though. The key with the Bose systems is that every ear in the audience needs to be between the top and the bottom of the stick so that they only really work in flat floored venues. He says, my experience is they work better in deep rooms rather than wide rooms. And then he goes on to talk about the, he says the large J shaped arrays you see at concerts are technically curve linear arrays. The same basic principles mostly apply, but the math gets super complicated Each manufacturer provides software you use to figure out how to set up the array for that venue. You put in the dimensions and it tells you how to set the angles on the boxes. So there you go. (laughs) That's a very technical answer. All I know is that it sounds freaking great. Well, and I think the takeaway is that it's sending sound straight out as opposed to in a, in an expanding um, angle and therefore loses less volume, loses half the volume That it, that it, that a normal speaker would lose. So it's going to be able to, in layman's terms, throw the sound further. As long as you are in the way of the speaker, if you're out, out of the range of the speaker, out of the, out of the path of the speaker, I should say, you're, you're done. You don't hear anything. I think that's, I think that's the right interpretation. Thank you for that, Andy. That's, um, that's great. great. Yeah. People keeping us honest. I, it's, listen, we're not going to get everything right. There's no way. Uh, Yeah, it's good. All right. And then uh, I did have one other question that came in, Paul, in a recent show, you talked about your uh, rehearsing vocals to on your own to vocal karaoke tracks. And a listener was asking, where do you download
1: those? Where do you get those from? Oh, actually, I'd get them on iTunes. There's you'd be amazed how many versions of just about any popular song and lots of not popular songs. You can just buy them 99 cents and download them from iTunes. Well, there you go. Yeah,
0: that's nice it. and easy.
1: That and I, easy. again, I, you know, I do that. I do that and record myself just so I can, you know, check my intonation, check my breathing, you know, check a lot of things. Um, and, and it's just a good practice tool for me and it helps me prepare to bring stuff into the band.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm going to use those too. I had no idea that you can get them on iTunes. Oh, that's yeah. killer. Huh? Awesome.
1: well, I think that about wraps it up for tonight. Fun show, man. Yeah. Good conversation. And so, you know, let's just close it up by saying, if you're the monster, your band is working because everybody's in there, you know, cut slack and, you know, love everybody. And if you're the less than monster, open your heart and open your head to learning something from people who are either blessed with talent or work their butts off to get to where they are. And, uh, it's all a journey. We're all just trying to get better. We're all just trying to make music that makes people happy. So, uh, take in all of the input that you can and, uh, going on the journey is, is, is really rewarding when you can go with people you like playing music with no matter what the talent is.
0: Well, that that's what it comes down to. And I I will add one thing you said for the monsters know that it's working because everybody's there for the people that aren't the monsters know the same thing. You know, you, you are an important piece of the mix, even though it might, even though somebody else might have more talent at, uh, you know, at their instrument than you have at yours. So it is it is the sum of the parts as it works. That's best. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com is the email address that you can send in all your questions to. Please do send in your questions, your tips, your corrections, anything. Uh, we're, we're happy to hear it and we'll share pretty much anything we hear from uh, as long as it makes sense in the show. So that's feedback
1: at giggabpodcast.com. Where else can they find us, Paul? Uh, we've got a great Facebook page, getting a few more likes every week. So you can find us at facebook.com slash gig podcast.
0: Yep. That'll work. That'll work. We'll see you there folks and, uh, have a, uh, have a great keep. You have a great, <laughs> I can't even talk. It's too, oh, man, have a great week. Keep playing and enjoy what you do. Thanks for listening Rock on everybody. Thanks a lot.